Listening to the Coffee Hour, I'm Sarah Golseth. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin, for your support of the Coffee Hour. You can find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Today, the church commemorates Joanna, Mary, and Salome Murbearers on August 3rd. And so we're going to talk a little bit about who these women were and what the significance of of their role as Murbear and why we have them as a commemoration date on August 3rd. Joining me today, the Reverend Sean Denzer, LCMS Director of Worship and Chaplain of the LCMS International Center. Thanks for joining me today, Sean. Great to be here. So, Joanna, Mary, and Salome, these names don't really show up more than what, in one account in the Synoptic Gospels? That's right. But one of them shows up an awful lot, and that's oh, yeah. Mary. There are okay. a lot of Marys in the Bible. One of the things that is kind of a authenticating item, right? Because if you were making up a story, you would certainly make up a story with names that are easier to figure out, like a little bit of variety would help. But <laughs> the scriptures have so many Marys, it was a common name, but it does make it a little confusing for us sometimes to parse them all out. So we'll give it an attempt here, and uh, and we'll talk about who these other ladies are too. Okay, so do we do we know who this Mary is? Not quite. <laughs> so let's look, just look at what the Bible says. We'll look at the back of every gospel at the resurrection section and see what it says. So we'll jump around. John's gospel says on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb. We know she gets a longer story about seeing Jesus risen from the dead. Uh, Matthew's gospel says that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb. That's not particularly helpful to figure out who anybody is. <laughs> Mark's gospel uh, says that Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, that's who the other Mary was, I guess, mm-hmm. and Salome brought spices. Now, what's complicating about that is Mary, the mother of James, and Joseph is mentioned elsewhere in the gospels. Mm-hmm. And it's a little uncertain if that's which James that is. You remember the apostles, there's James the Lesser. Oh, there's yeah. also James the Greater. There's also James the Just, who may be the brother or relative of Jesus, depending on how you're seeing that too. But that particular section is, you know, the relative, Mary, the mother of our Lord comes out, the mother of James and Joseph, whether from that marriage or another marriage. So that doesn't help us a terribly large amount either. Then when we get to Luke, we hear that uh, just the women come, and we don't have them named at all at the beginning. They prepare the spices on Friday and Saturday, or just on Friday, Saturday they rest, and Sunday they bring them to the tomb. But then a little later in the story, once they start spreading the news to the apostles, it reminds us who these people are. It says, now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women <laughs> with them who told these things to the apostles. So I suppose we can we can match these all up and say that it's definitely this Mary, the mother of James, and Mary Magdalene, who we've mentioned elsewhere, and her feast day is on the 22nd of, of July. Mm-hmm. But uh, who are the other women? Uh, there's a whole pile of people here that aren't mentioned, which gives rise in Christian tradition to a whole bunch of names being added to this, including another Mary, Mary, the wife of Clopas, right? Mm-hmm. So so if you're confused, don't worry. It, it is a little confusing, and it's hard to piece exactly together who these people are. But in any case, we have this feast day to, re- to remember the ones that are mentioned in Luke's gospel, Joanna, Mary, 
and and Mary Magdalene, and then the one that was mentioned in Mark's Gospel, Salome. Mm-hmm. Is there any significance to the people who are named versus the people who are not named, just in general in these in these passages? Because sometimes you have these these women who have their names mentioned, and then there's all the rest of them. Is there a significance to to them and not the others? You know, it's a great question and one that scholars kind of fiddle with because (laughs) on the one hand, to be named is an honor, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that may suggest that they had some play in it. Perhaps uh, some people have speculated, especially in Luke's gospel, that people who get named perhaps were donors to the cause, right? Maybe Hmm. they provided the paper for them. Interesting. On the other hand, in other places like in John's gospel, he goes out of his way, it seems, not to mention himself by name, right. but he calls himself, right, the beloved disciple, etc. Mm-hmm. So definitely trying to remember them. I think the difficult thing for us to recall is, for us, we're reading this as a story that happened 2,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. For the people who would have received the gospel originally, they would have known these people, and they most likely would have been living. Yeah. And the church has variously, through traditions which sometimes are are pretty respectable and, and maybe worth our time to believe, and then at other times through traditions that are a little more spurious, added to the story. We mentioned Mary Magdalene, and, and she confounds the story altogether because in the history of the church, she's been compiled and conflated with almost all the other women that don't have names in the scriptures, like the woman who washes Jesus' feet with mm-hmm. her hair, and the woman who's caught in adultery, that kind of not in the earliest manuscript section of John 8. All of this shows the church loves stories of God's saints. We like to put names to the stories. We like to get the whole backstory. You see that even <laughs> in movies today, right? Right. Uh, and so there's a there's always an interest in doing that. Sometimes it can take us far afield from the scriptures, but I think the instinct to, to remember maybe this, our names are known to God, our Father. Uh, we receive our names in holy baptism. Uh, he treasures us each individually, and, and the same was true of these women. So Yeah. Absolutely. So what was the role of a myrrh bearer or, or women, these women who were bringing the spices? What what were they even doing? What what was this uh, tradition that they were doing? Good question. In, in the Bible, what are they doing? We have clear is they're, they're, they're doing the embalming business, right? Mm-hmm. The, the tradition for Jews was to pack the body with spices. On the one hand, it would smell better that way, but also it was to help in the decomposition process. In, mm-hmm. in some cases, they would actually decompose the bodies and come back and open the tomb a couple of years later or whenever they could next and, and even remove the bones and put them into an ossuary, a little tiny box for the bones, hmm. which frees up the tomb for the next guy to, to rot in. Yeah. Uh, grisly business and, and still carried on in some places. But, I mean, remember, whose tomb is this? This is Jesus' tomb. He doesn't decompose. He doesn't rot away. And his bones are not kept in a box because they're risen from the dead, and they've ascended on high to the Father's right hand. So all of all of this practice of death, this practice of caring for the body, is really brought to a to a height in Jesus because all of this is proved unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Just take a moment to mention Bach and his Easter yes. Oratorio. Yes. There's this wonderful little dialogue where the uh, the ladies scold the apostles. Oh, you guys are cold of heart and slow to believe. You you guys are uh, shamed by helpless little women because we you know we're in the right place and you guys don't believe it. And they come back <laughs> and say, No, no, the the precious oils and the and the and the prayers and the incense that we were bringing. Were was our vigil that we were keeping overnight. And and the women at the end say, well, you brought your thing and we brought our thing, but 
neither of us needed any of it because he's risen from the dead. I love that little line, right? You, which ye and and we have brought in vain because he's risen. Um, so, uh, one thing that it does teach us here is the respect of the body goes into the Old Testament just as it is in the New. Hmm. And the reason to respect the body is not like we see in, in in other pagan cultures because we think we're going to prepare them for the afterlife, like mm-hmm. the, the very elaborate Egyptian ceremonies, mm. of course. But it is because we believe in an afterlife, I suppose you could say, if you want to genericize it. But particularly we confess the resurrection of the dead. So it isn't that by our efforts we're going to keep the bodies looking pretty, of course not. But it is the fact that we believe the Lord is not done with us. He's going to raise us body and soul to eternal life. So the 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 love that we afford to the bodies, the care that we give, is in a sense a final confession of our hope that um, this stuff is not junk now. It's not just thrown away. It's not an empty husk. None of that is true. The Lord is going to raise us in our bodies at the last day. Just like Job says, right? You know, in my own flesh, even after it's already been decomposed, in my own flesh, I shall see God. That's his hope. So yes, Christ is alive out of the tomb. His body uh, begins to be prepared as if he's going to die like everyone else. But he's the firstborn from the dead, the first fruits of those who sleep and all of us who follow after him, even though our bodies will waste away, no matter how good they're embalmed, he will raise us alive. Mm -hmm. made new as he is. Yes. Amen to that. So we only have a couple of minutes left. Is there, is there anything else that we learn from this account of, I don't know, Christ has told everyone that he will die and he will rise. And yet, and yet they still go and, and prepare his body for the, the decomposition process. Is there anything else we, we learn from the story of them going to do that? And then he's, he's not even there. Yeah, I think there's two things. One, we see the difficulty that the apostles and all of the outer circle of the disciples, the women who followed him from Galilee, everybody, uh, struggled to believe what Mm. Jesus had said. And the scales come off in the resurrection. The same is true for us. Mm -hmm. Now that Christ has died and is risen from the dead, all things are made new. We have the benefit of looking back on this, mm-hmm. which they didn't. And yet we see their great devotion to Jesus. We, we see that he has a circle of apostles. He has a larger circle of disciples. And that includes especially these faithful women who follow him, who in some ways support his ministry financially as well, keeps mm-hmm. keeps these guys alive as they're walking around <laughs> yeah. without a job. Mm-hmm. But but the devotion of these women has never been scorned, even if, as it says in Box Cantata, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Even if it wasn't quite necessary in the way they thought. I, I want to read one little thing for you because I, I just love this uh, statement. This is from Paul H.D. Lang's What an Altar Guild Should Know. Ooh. So he, he talks about, you know, what is an altar guild? Uh, we need this service. We need people to, to help with it. Mm-hmm. And he also talks about wise women because often the people on altar guild doesn't have to be, but many are, are usually groups of women. Mm-hmm. And he references both Exodus 35 where the women, the wise-hearted women, spin and make the beautiful tapestries and and heroes for the tabernacle. Mm -hmm. But he also says that the altar girls are, and here's the quote, followers of Mary and Martha and Salome and the other women who ministered to our Lord and his disciples and took great care of him. Hmm. I think, you know, in a sense, the the care for Jesus' body serves as as maybe a, a reminder and an inspiration for us and for all of us who might work with 
Holy Communion mm-hmm. in any way. Yes, not all of us are the pastor, of course, but but it, many hands come together to help care for before and after the vessels that are used and all of these all, all of the accompaniments to the Lord's Supper. And and in some ways, we kind of remember these myrrh bearers in those ways, those who cared for Christ's body or were about to. And uh, and the devotion that we have to his not dead and lifeless body, but his mm-hmm. risen body, right? We kind of merge the two together with full faith in what his promises are now fulfilled in Christ's resurrection. Mm-hmm. Ah, that's great, Reverend Sean Denzer, LCMS Director of Worship and Chaplain of the LCMS International Center. Thank you so much for joining me to talk about Joanna, Mary, and Salome today. You're welcome. You've been listening to the Coffee Hour. I'm Sarah Golseth. Oh, 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 oh